This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and in this episode, we're going deep. Another skincare special talking about pigmentation. Now, the reason we're talking about this today is that I know a lot of listeners have asked questions about it in the Facebook group and also via DM on Instagram and email. So I thought it would be prudent to get an expert on the show to explain what it is, what causes it and how we can minimize and in some cases remove it. So I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Alexis Granite onto the podcast, who really does give us a pigmentation 101 in the conversation you're about to hear. Broadly speaking... Pigmentation occurs due to an increase in the number of pigment-producing cells in the skin or the pigmented substance they produce, and it can be brought on by a number of factors, the sun and hormones chief among them. But what they look like to you and I are dark patches on the skin that can vary in size. And if they're anything like mine, you want to get rid of them, or at least reduce them. I'll let Alexis explain the rest, but this is something that affects many people, and if it's a cause of frustration for you, then I really do advise listening to Alexis's advice. Now, full disclosure, this is not a sponsored episode, no money has changed hands, but I was able to get time with Alexis whilst on a press trip with the skincare brand Skinceuticals, where they had unveiled their new discoloration defence serum. So when Alexis and I are chatting, we are fresh out of the presentation for this new launch. It was kind of a, I wanted to do this episode, they were launching this product, they invited me on the trip, and my intention to create an episode on pigmentation met the fact that they were producing a product. It happened to be synergistic, it was not planned necessarily, it just happened to be a happy accident. I'll put the links to it in the show notes to the product in the show notes because the brand were kind enough to fit me into Alexis's schedule so I could record this show. But please understand, it's not any kind of a hard sell. As I said, it's not a sponsored episode. The intention here is to create an episode whereby you come out of the other side, understanding your skin a little bit better and how you can treat dark spots, pigmentation, hyperpigmentation, etc. I'll let Alexis tell you the difference. <laughs> a wee bit of housekeeping. We were in the countryside when we recorded this and a fine groundsman fired up his leaf blower outside the room where we were podcasting and you can hear it in the background. But I hope it's not too distracting and you're able to focus on what Alexis has to say. I thought it was better to continue the conversation with Alexis than go and have words with uh, somebody carrying heavy machinery. I had to make a judgment call. That's what I went with. All the links to everything discussed and to Alexis, who is based at Malucci London, a fine establishment if ever there was one, will be in the show notes. But here she is, really taking us to pigmentation school. It's Dr. Alexis Granite on The Emma Gunn Show. (music) 
So Dr. Alexis Granite, I am so happy to be talking to you because I feel like pigmentation is something that we're having a bigger conversation about now. Perhaps people are understanding that it's something that can be treated. Yeah, absolutely. It's a problem that maybe people have had for a while. Yep. <laughs> but actually now there are some really impressive topical solutions. There are some in-clinic treatments. So what I wanted to ask you about is really what is pigmentation? Because it isn't just one thing, is it? That's right. Um, so actually with pigmentation, you can have, in general, two different forms of pigmentation. So you can have hyperpigmentation, which is too much pigment, and then hypopigmentation, which is too little pigment. And really hyperpigmentation is much more amenable to treatments. So that's where we tend to focus our treatments mm -hmm. um, on. And then within the sort of category of hyperpigmentation, there are multiple different types. So, and I'm sure you've seen this on your own skin. I've seen it on mine. Um, you can have sort of brown or dark discoloration. You can also even have sort of a reddish or purplish mm. discoloration. So it can come in sort of all different forms. And some of that just depends on what's causing the pigmentation. So when you talk about the different types of pigmentation, there's a whole host of variables. So yeah. <laughs> you can have just plain old freckles, <laughs> which is a type of pigmentation. That is a type of pigmentation. Yes, okay. exactly. Um, and those tend to be somewhat genetic and also related to sun exposure. You can also have something called solar lentigenes, which clinically just appear almost like a darker freckle. Um, and those, like the name implies, they tend to be related to sun exposure. Oh. But unlike a freckle, a solar lentigo won't uh, darken or lighten depending on the season. So it, it, once it's there, the color is sort of is what it is. Oh, okay. Um, you can also have patches of pigmentation, which are known as melasma. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you've heard of melasma. <laughs> I have melasma. It's a bit of a pain. But basically what melasma is, um, is patches of, they tend to be brown or tan. And those um, are very common in women and may have a hormonal sort of mm -hmm. underpinning. So sometimes women see them, uh, see melasma develop during pregnancy or upon starting oral contraception. Um, but it can happen in men too, and it can happen in women sort of seemingly for no reason mm -hmm. as well. Um, and then sometimes you get um, patches of pigmentation, which can be trickier to treat, which are called keratoses. And those are actually growths on the skin. And so they're a little harder to remove than a freckle or a lentigo, mm -hmm. for example, because they're a little bit thicker than, um, than a freckle. And so things like laser you know, don't work as effectively on a keratosis as it might on a freckle, for example. Okay. That's quite a lot to digest there. <laughs> so freckles are part of it. Now, brown spots, dark spots, but liver spots on your hand. Yes. Is that, is that all? So that's all sort of, yes. Yeah. So liver spots tend to be these spots called keratoses. Um, oh. And that's why sometimes um, they're just not as straightforward in some cases to treat than it might be, you know, a freckle, for example. And sometimes with a liver spot, you can use a laser and it will get better, um, but they can be quite stubborn. So we use other treatments in, in some cases to treat liver spots. Um, and those are the hardest ones in general to, to kind of get rid of with things like cosmeceuticals mm -hmm. and topical treatments. So you talk about melasma and the relation to hormones and how that can sometimes manifest in women. Uh, whether it's um, oral contraceptive use or pregnancy. But what's the, because melasma and pigmentation on the cheeks can look the same, is that right? 
Yes. Uh, it's, it's often a clinical diagnosis and it can be sometimes difficult to distinguish. Mm -hmm. Um, and to be honest, sometimes, you know, even in one patient, they might have three different forms of pigmentation. They might have freckles and keratoses and a little bit of melasma. And the other thing about, you know, pigmentation is it does sometimes vary a bit depending on the time of year. So Mm -hmm. I've had patients that, you know, have come into my office and say, oh, well, in the, in the summer months, I get this sort of weird patch of pigment above my lip, for example, but then it's not evident when I see them in the clinic. Mm. And so then I might ask them, okay, next time you're in the sun, come back and let me see what it looks like afterwards. So then I can really target the treatment, you know, that's going to be best for them in particular, because melasma notoriously is difficult to treat Mm -hmm. and can actually get worse with certain types of treatments. So when I have any sort of suspicion that someone might have melasma, you have, you have to be a little more careful than than the average person. Melasma sounds a bit more serious than pigmentation. (laughs) Okay. So if someone's listening to this and they think, well, I do have some dark patches on my face and I did a podcast recently on vitamin C where just a sight test on, I think a hundred cases people who had brown spots or pigmentation on the face were um, perceived to be older by about yes. 10 years. Yeah. So now we understand it as being an anti-aging thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, how does someone identify? Do you have to, can you identify it in the mirror in your own bathroom or should you be seeing a dermatologist? I think if you have discrete, small, you know, spots of pigmentation, you can be pretty confident that they're going to be a freckle or a lentigo Mm. or maybe a keratosis, so a little more straightforward. Mm. If you do have sort of patchy or broader areas of dark discoloration, it may really be worth seeing a healthcare professional if you can, Mm -hmm. just because that does sound more Mm -hmm. (laughs) melasma-like, particularly if it came on during pregnancy or when taking oral contraceptives, particularly if it's in the mid-face, so Mm -hmm. middle of the cheeks, the upper lip, the middle of the forehead head, that does kind of, you know, lead to a suspicion of melasma, in which case it's it's best to really be treated by a healthcare professional if you can be. Should it be treated? Is it something that you want to eliminate? Not just for cosmetic Yeah. Purposes. So health-wise, there is no, you know, there's no nothing associated with melasma. It's strictly a cosmetic concern, but, mm-hmm. you know, it can be very distressing for people that have it. Um, and, you know, it can be very mild or it can be quite severe. So mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of women do want to treat their melasma or are bothered by it. Yeah. So say you come back, I'm bothered by mine Me and too. I'm constantly <laughs> saying to Nadine, what is this? What yeah. can I do on it? Anyway, yeah. That's another conversation. Um, but so say somebody's listening to this and they think, okay, I would like to do something about my perceived pigmentation, but actually they've just, they're newly back from holiday and it could just be residual tan. Like if you come back from holiday and you think actually something's lingering. Yeah. When do you know that you're dealing with pigmentation? Yeah, so I would say sort of anytime two to four weeks after that strong sun exposure, if there is still some pigmentation that's observable on the skin, um, then in that case, it really could be something like melasma or just, you know, the problem with sun is that it has a cumulative effect over time, which is Mm -hmm. why we're always hammering on and on about prevention. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you've had exposure for, you know, 20 plus years in your 30s, um, you know, you start to then see potentially the the results of that long-term exposure. Right. So then you're looking at a long-term solution? Yeah, to exactly. To kind of pedal back? Exactly, exactly. Okay. 
Um, one other type of pigmentation that we didn't touch on yet, which I'm sure we'll get to too, mm. but is is something called post-inflammatory pigmentation. And that's very common, again, maybe with these other forms of discoloration, but that can be due to things that have caused inflammation on the skin. So for example, spots and blemishes, breakouts, um, even things like eczema, which can sometimes leave like a dark mark on the skin. Um, so that's a really common type of pigmentation that can be involved too, and sometimes requires treatment other Mm -hmm. times with some of these things, you know, for post-inflammatory, for example, there is a bit of sort of tincture of time and it may get better a little bit on its own, but things like solar lenticos or keratoses or melasma, those tend to be pretty persistent. Mm. Um, there was a conversation in the Facebook group recently actually that made me remember what it was like when I was a teenager and I had bad acne and... I remember my mother saying to me, oh, we'll go on holiday soon and the sun will yep. fix, fix that. <laughs> and yet we we now know perhaps that the sun isn't so great. Well, we knew back then anyway. But yep. what I'm saying is, is it can make a lot of these problems worse, but then it does have a positive effect on some things yes. like acne. But then do you just have to be very measured? Yeah, I mean, the sun can improve acne for sure temporarily same with something like psoriasis which is a skin condition where you get Mm -hmm. sort of scaly plaques that can definitely be treated um, with uv exposure the problem is that first of all it tends to be a temporary fix so Mm -hmm. and oftentimes the benefits don't outweigh the risk so you know we know that long-term sun exposure especially if it's unprotected you know can be damaging to skin not only for aging purposes but skin cancer Mm -hmm. and atypical changes happening in the skin So in general, I don't tell people to go out and get (laughs) exposed for various skin conditions. The other thing with acne that's interesting is it does anecdotally improve when it's Mm. sunny. Um, But part of the problem is that a lot of times after that sun exposure, your skin has thickened slightly in response to UV. And so once that thickening starts to go back to normal, you actually sometimes break out more than you would have before. So it's like the calm before the storm sort of, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's always a temporary effect. Um, So generally not a great long-term solution for acne control. (laughs) Okay, good to know. Now you work in clinic, you see patients all the time. And I think that's always really important. I always flag it up to listeners. You work with skin, you work with people. I think it's really important that they know that. Have you noticed that concerns about pigmentation have increased in the last few years? Definitely. I think so. Yeah. Um, I would say especially among women. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm not sure why that is because obviously we're being more careful with our sun exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely see that people are bothered by pigmentation and want to treat it amongst a host of other things. So probably the most common things I see in my office are, you know, sort of adult acne, pigmentation, and then just sort of general anti-aging concerns. Right. And would you say that the pigmentation is um, the thing that you should handle before you maybe look at fine lines and wrinkles? Yeah, or sometimes you can treat them at the same time. You know, I think it depends on the age of the person too. So Mm. if someone is in their early 30s and has pigmentation, they're probably not as concerned with anti-aging yet Mm. versus a woman maybe in her 40s who kind of has a little bit of both and maybe has a little acne too, so (laughs) just fed up with with her skin because sadly you can have acne and wrinkles all at the same time. (laughs) Which does seem very, very unfair. unfair. (laughs) Totally. But I um, I think what I noticed is just in my role as a beauty journalist... When I first started, it was fine lines and wrinkles, fine lines and wrinkles, 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 wrinkles. And then it was the whole, well, you know that the first sign of aging is loss of radiance, really. So you need to (laughs) deal with that. And so we've just got a lot more on our plate. Yes. And I think it's 
and maybe some of that's marketing too, but it's, it's just an awareness of all the different aspects of skin that make skin look healthy or what we perceive to be as healthy. Mm. And I think one of the things I wanted you to clarify, being as you are an expert, is pigmentation isn't an indicator of having a poor skincare regime or not having looked after your skin necessarily, is it? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think, you know, certainly in someone who has very light skin type, if they do expose themselves to the sun, then over time that may cause, you know, skin damage that may involve pigmentation. But there's plenty of people walking around with pigmentation that have taken excellent care of their skin. It could be genetics. It could be, you know, just general sun. It could also be that they have some underlying hormonal change, Mm -hmm. whether it's pregnancy or starting oral contraceptives, all of those things contribute to pigmentation in the skin. So it's not necessarily a a failing on the person's part. (laughs) And no one should be looking in the mirror and thinking, I've got pigmentation, I've done something wrong, or that means that my skin's not healthy. No, not exactly. Okay, good. So let's get on to the important (laughs) stuff, which is, yes, there are in-clinic treatments with big whizzy machines, um, but there are also topical ingredients that can really, really make a difference. What are they? Yeah. How do we use them? <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say that generally when it comes to pigmentation, oftentimes, you know, a a sort of combination approach is the best. Mm -hmm. And that could be for a lot of reasons. One is that you may not have just one form of pigmentation. So treating each form maybe in its own way might be the most beneficial. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that treatments tend to complement each other. So you might use topical ingredients that are all good for various things, but then work well synergistically. Mm -hmm. So in general, I would say combination treatment maybe just with only cosmeceuticals, for example, or a combination treatment with um, in-office options. Um, But basically, ingredients to look for. So one of the best ingredients, I would say, overall for skin health is vitamin C or some sort of antioxidant. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are nice because they tend to do a lot of things all in one. So will help prevent pigmentation, but also help boost collagen production, give the skin a nice glow. So you're kind of getting a lot Mm -hmm. for one (laughs) ingredient, if that makes sense. A lot of bang for your (laughs) buck. Exactly. Uh, Niacinamide is one like that too. So niacinamide is a form of vitamin B3 and it tends to have a lot of benefits in the skin, not only just for pigmentation, but again, for sort of overall Mm anti-aging. The nice thing about niacinamide too is it's anti-inflammatory. So it tends to be really well tolerated, especially for people that might suffer from things like rosacea or acne. So niacinamide might be a good ingredient Mm -hmm. for them. Um, And then you can get into some of the sort of more dedicated pigment reducers. So things like tranexamic acid. Mm -hmm. Um, This was actually used, it's used orally um, as an anti-fibrinolytic, which is a very long word, but basically it's used to help prevent excess bleeding. So for example, in women who have very heavy periods. And what they found anecdotally is that it helped improve pigmentation. So now it's incorporated into you know, skincare to be applied topically. And that's a really great mm-hmm. um, ingredient for hyperpigmentation as well as kojic acid. Uh, so that's derived from um, fungi like mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And that's a great one for pigmentation too, um, as well now? as azelaic acid. So that's another acid which um, is actually produced by yeast, but now I think it's made more synthetically, more usually used more synthetically from um, grains like barley and oats. Um, And that also tends to really help fade dark spots. Mm. Azelaic acid actually can also be used um, for acne and rosacea too. So it's another one where it tends to kind of kill multiple birds with Mm. one stone. (laughs) I spoke to an expert, a skin expert, a little while ago who I was getting little 
little bumps, not even bumps, they were smaller than bumps, little spots that weren't spots on my chin. And they were like, just put some azelaic yeah. acid on it. Yeah. But it's kind of off book. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's, um, so, and that's where it leads into the sort of more prescription treatments because azelaic acid is available in cosmeceuticals, for mm -hmm. example, but it is also available at higher concentrations on prescription. And that in those cases, it's often given for rosacea and sometimes for acne, but it can be used for pigmentation as well. Um, and then a big ingredient, which I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard of, which is hydroquinone. Mm -hmm. um, and so hydroquinone is probably, to be honest, one of the most effective pigment reducers. Mm -hmm. um, it's had some sort of bad press in the past yeah. because sort of overusing hydroquinone can sometimes lead to discoloration. But to be honest, that's, I mean, that was seen with much older formulations. Mm -hmm. And when it's used in a controlled setting for limited periods of time, it, it actually is quite effective. Did it also get a bad rap because it was the lightning ingredient? Or have I got that wrong? Yes, it can. So in certain um, formulations, they'll call it lightening rather right. than brightening, for example, right. which okay. maybe doesn't have the best connotation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but no, hydroquinone, you know, it, it is available in some over-the-counter preparations at a lower concentration. Mm -hmm. And then at higher percentages, that is on prescription. Um, and generally, the prescription types that we use contain hydroquinone along with a mild cortisone to reduce irritation mm -hmm. and also inflammation in general, and then also a retinoid. Um, and that helps the hydroquinone penetrate more effectively and then also helps with sort of exfoliating the skin in general, which again will help mm -hmm. the pigmentation too. So the prescription version that I generally give is one that is a combination of those three. Right. And you say the exfoliation will help. Is that because you're just um, renewing the skin? Yes. So you're getting rid of the old... Um, excess production of melanin. Exactly. And that can also help other ingredients penetrate more effectively too. So things like glycolic acid and other sort of alpha hydroxy acids that you can buy in cosmeceuticals are also helpful for pigmentation. But again, I would say those I would probably recommend in combination with something else. Mm -hmm. So for example, maybe an exfoliant along with you know, tranexamic acid or and or niacinamide, something like that might be a nice regimen to, to include, you know, in someone who's suffering from pigmentation because you're kind of coming at it from multiple different angles. Now, I think most of the listeners will probably know how to get hold of vitamin C, topical vitamin C and retinols and azelaic acid, but it's the transendemic acid. Yeah. How do you know that that's in a product? <laughs> you got to look at the ingredients. Um, <laughs> I should usually say, because it is an active ingredient. So usually it'll say, hopefully on it's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at, like a B&B &B with an ocean view an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. The front of the bottle or one of the first few ingredients when you're shopping. Um, we're here obviously now at a SkinCeuticals yeah. event, uh, where we're talking about a product called Discoloration Defense, which contains tranexamic mm -hmm. acid. There aren't that many on the market at the moment with that ingredient in particular. Um, but I think it's a good one mm. along with kojic acid. Those are probably two of my favorites yeah. for pigmentation. And potentially, I mean, you mentioned that it's, um, use in pigmentation was anecdotal, via another study. So, I mean, SkinCeuticals have always, and listeners know I'm a big fan of the range anyway, 
the brand anyway, is it they're kind of early adopters? So yes. is it that they've really been able to put it to use? Yes, exactly. And actually there have been studies um, mainly coming out of Asia where hyperpigmentation seems to be a very big concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done studies, clinical studies, both with oral tranexamic acid for hyperpigmentation as well as topical and really shown that it can be quite efficacious. Okay. Now with a lot of problems, you can treat them and then improve them but then as soon as you stop using that same regime things go back what's the situation with pigmentation yeah so <laughs> that's definitely true with pigmentation unfortunately and i think that's part of the you know where sun protection comes in because mm-hmm. obviously dermatologists are always going on as we said about sun protection for a multitude of reasons um but i would say pigmentation and probably melasma the worst of all, tends to always want to come back. Right, right. <laughs> so it is an uphill battle. It's not the easiest mm-hmm. one where you just slap something on and then it goes away and then you're kind of <laughs> out of the clear. But that being said, a lot of the ingredients do also have you know, some sort of anti-aging um, component as mm-hmm. well. So it's not like you're having to use something in isolation. You might be using a, you know, a retinol long-term just for many skin benefits, whether it's for breakouts mm-hmm. and anti-aging and pigmentation. But it is something you have to really stay with for mm-hmm. sure, particularly with sun protection, because, you know, you can spend tons of money on all these products. And then if you go in the sun unprotected, for example, it's it's going to put all your hard work mm. to waste. It is it is one of the first things that any dermatologist I've ever spoken to just says, just for the yes, love of yes. Mike. <laughs> put on. How do you one of the barriers to using SPF? I'm really curious. And I've experienced this, too. You put it on and then your makeup looks terrible over the top. So how do you, is there a particular way that you would recommend people apply it? Yeah, so I, I'm i the same. And, and also, I mean, I love the sun too. Like I'm a beach girl, so it's very hard. <laughs> but I would say my trick at this point is I most of the time will pick whatever moisturizer I'm using because I will tend to break out as well. So I usually use a very light moisturizer. I might mix my sun cream with that moisturizer and put it on. I find it just tends to go on much more mm-hmm. smoothly and you don't get that sort of weird chalky feeling that mm-hmm. you sometimes get with or that super oily feeling that yeah, you get yeah. with sunscreen. I mean, and to be honest, you know, if you're indoors the whole day working, you don't have to torture yourself. You can mm-hmm. put, you know, a little bit of light powder on that has your SPF in it. But I think when you're really out, you know, whether it's at the park or the beach or you're going to be out for extended periods of times, so that's where you really have to be mindful of the reapplication and, mm-hmm. you know, really be stay diligent. Yeah. Okay. And what, what factor do you recommend people wear in the day? So I'd say anywhere from 30 plus, I think if you suffer from pigmentation in particular, you know, you probably should be wearing 50. Okay. And again, people might be listening to this thinking, well, I'm using a retinoid and I use an antioxidant in the morning. Am I not already part of the way there, but I still have pigmentation. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is hard is that you wouldn't, you don't know necessarily where your skin would be if you weren't using those things. Mm -hmm. So potentially they could be worse. The pigmentation Mm -hmm. could be worse, but you know, as we said, sometimes you do need a combination of treatments. And so those things in particular may not be enough. And I have many patients who use amazing products, tons of cosmeceuticals and still suffer with pigmentation. Mm -hmm. And those are sometimes the ones that go on to use prescription treatments, whether it's prescription hydroquinone or a prescription retinoid or even prescription azelaic acid and or do some sort of in-office treatment like chemical peels or laser, mm. you know, what it, whatever it is that really helps to target that their pigmentation. Well, let's talk about what you can do in uh, 
clinic because I'm really curious about what those are. So you say IPL, which we've spoken about many times on this podcast in relation to hair reduction. Yep but never actually in terms of how it can treat pigmentation. So IPL, which is intense pulse light, is um, is really a good kind of catch-all for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tends to, I mean, slightly painful. I don't know if you've ever had it done. It's, it's very manageable. No, but I, I, I would like to, <laughs> to get rid yeah, of this all right, all right. Well, I, could, I could do it for you. You can see. <laughs> uh, slightly painful, but very manageable. Um, and generally you do a series of treatments. So anywhere from sort of three to five treatments. And basically, it's a combination of many different wavelengths of light that are absorbed by different pigments in the skin, essentially. So it's very helpful for rosacea, for redness, and for broken capillaries, but also helpful for pigmentation. Um, The one form of pigmentation that I would say I don't do any laser on anymore, and I mentioned this when we were talking Mm -hmm. at lunch earlier, is is for melasma. Um, And part of that is because I think... A lot of times you can get a very um, like short-term improvement in the melasma, mm-hmm. and it, then it ultimately comes back worse than it was before. Oh. So you have, that's why I was saying it can be very important in some cases to really know what it is you're dealing with in terms of pigmentation. Mm-hmm. And if there is a question that you have melasma, it is if you ideally can see someone, it is helpful mm-hmm. because you don't want to get the wrong advice and then have it get you know potentially worse. But that is where the topicals can come in and actually make a really... Exactly, exactly. Um, and then, you know, besides laser, there are also a, a host of chemical peels that you can do in the office. And those actually are safe for all types of pigmentation, so including melasma. And that might be glycolic peels, mandelic acid. Um, there's a great peel, which we do called Dermamelan, mm. which is, it's very intense. <laughs> it's basically a clay mask that's painted on the skin and you wear that mask for anywhere between sort of 10 and 12 hours. And then you rinse it off at home. Um, <laughs> what does it look oh, like? Yeah. Okay. Well, you go home. Yeah, people. <laughs> Am I getting the tube with this? Ask on? if I can take the tube home. I'm like, nope. I'm pretty sure you're gonna. Well, you can, <laughs> but you're gonna get a lot of stares. <laughs> so a lot of times they'll they'll take a taxi home. Um, and then you know it causes quite a bit of redness, so quite a bit of irritation, right. which is meant to do. Uh, then you sort of go through a peeling phase for about a week. Um, but afterwards, it really loosens up the areas of pigmentation. Mm. Um, and after which point you use, as part of the sort of treatment plan, there's a home cream that comes with it that then focuses on the areas that are particularly stubborn, like the melasma patches, for example. Um, and that's safe to do in all skin types. So that at this point, if someone can work that into their schedule with work mm-hmm. and taking time off, that tends to be my treatment of choice for melasma. Okay. But you could do peels a stronger at-home peel as well and incorporate that into your regime if that's not potentially an option. Exactly, 100%. And you could also do lighter peels, you know, you know, locally to you if you wanted to go in and have like a light glycolic. It's just that those sometimes, because they're lighter, it just takes more treatment sometimes to reach the same end point. Yeah, but I think it, we keep coming back to this on this podcast. It, it's being, it's cumulative. Yes. In the same way that the damage is cumulative. Yes. The results and making progress. Yes. And cumulative. that's true for a lot of treatments in dermatology. You know, they, as you said, they have a cumulative effect, especially with the creams. You know, it can take a good three to six months to really see an improvement from some of these from the, some mm-hmm. of these treatments. You really just have to be patient because exactly, you took you know twenty years to build up that skin yeah. type. It's not going to take two days to to change it. Um, and the same goes for a lot of the in-office treatments too. Mm. The ones that tend to have more downtime tend to give quicker results, but the trade-off is the downtime. So Sure. Okay. Now, and let's also talk about suiting ingredients because I know in the Facebook group, we've had people say that they don't feel like they get on with retinol. 
Um, I feel like if I had to say there was one topical ingredient that my skin loves, it's glycolic. Mm-hmm. Like, can you actually, can your skin prefer? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it just comes down to sensitivities. And the thing I would say with retinol that I find a lot is I think people sometimes overdo it a little bit. And that's one where you really can't go too hard too soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to be very sort of judicious with your use. And generally I'll recommend using a very low potency one to start with and mm-hmm. maybe even just three times a week, again with moisturizer because it can be quite drying. And then just gradually as your skin builds up the tolerance to it, mm-hmm. you can apply it more often. But there are people out there who just cannot use it. They try every which way and just can't. I also think if I didn't have people like you that I could speak to if I didn't have Nadine as a friend. If I was going to my local high street and I was thinking, right, I'm going to buy an affordable retinol, not all retinols are created equal. And you could, you could make a mistake or you could get something that's maybe too weak or not strong enough for what you need. And I do think that's really confusing. Do you have any um, handy hints that you could share that are kind of helpful for someone who's maybe shopping for an entry-level retinol? Yeah, I mean, I I would say that definitely you want to start with the lower concentrations. And retinol in and of itself tends to be stronger than some of the other derivatives like retinol palmitate. Mm-hmm. Of course, I can't remember the names of the other ones. There's a million of them. There's esters, there's palmitates. <laughs> yes, there's yes. basically a whole metabolic pathway. Yes, exactly. Um, those tend to be less um, active than retinol itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think... I think in addition to maybe trying a lower percentage, I think the frequency of application will make a big Mm. difference too. The amount of product. So again, rather than put too much on, it's better to use too little and Mm -hmm. then just gradually build up if you can. Um, But I think, yeah, that's something you just have to start out really slow. Mm. (laughs) Yes. Good advice. Um, I went very wrong. I was telling listeners, I was telling Alexis over lunch, and I think I might have told you about this, where I over overused a strong retinol and then went out with Caroline Hirons and had to get a bottle of cold water to put against my face. <laughs> yes. Because it was just a little bit yeah. oversensitized. But speaking of retinol, um, retinol can make you more sun sensitive. Yes, but not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's how I read that all the time. And I think that's sort of a myth. I mean, basically, ret- the thing that retinol does is it, it, so people always say oh, it thins your skin and it makes more sun sensitive. It doesn't really. What it's doing is it's helping the skin shed more readily. So it's getting rid of some of the dead skin cells mm-hmm. on the surface of the skin, the same way, for example, a glycolic might be doing. But other than that, it's not really causing you to be more sun sensitive. So potentially you have a little bit less skin for the sun to come through. Do you see what I'm saying? Because the dead skin cells have sort of shed off. And it's newer, it's younger. And it's like, what the? But but retinol in and of itself does not cause sun sensitivity. So you can actually use retinol through the summer months. Um, You just need to be very you know, careful with your sun protection as you normally would. And in fact, I would encourage most people, if they can tolerate it, to use that through the summer because that's when you are accumulating more sun to contribute to your pigmentation or huh. anti-aging, et cetera. So I use, I mean, I use a super strong Retin-A, <laughs> a prescription version, and I use it through the summer. <laughs> I but love I mean, people I've been, who get yeah. high on their own supply. <laughs> but do. I've been using it for about 20 years. So I started, you know, at the bottom and with a very mild one and I gradually worked my way up. 
Um, but yeah, you can definitely use it through the summer. You just need to be sure to wear a high factor SPF. Mm. So like a factor 50. Started at the bottom. Now we hear yes, listeners. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, um, to the, to the point uh, with retinol and sun sensitivity, I've really peddled back from my retinol in the summer because I thought, well, I don't want to make my pigmentation worse. And then someone else said, oh, my pigmentation looks darker at the moment because it's the sun, it's the summer. Is that all the nonsense or is there some truth? In no, that? I mean, I... I think the retinol may not be playing a role in that. Pigmentation does tend to look darker in the summer. And that's just because you're getting more... I mean, if you lived... If you didn't go outside, then it wouldn't be a problem. But right, if you're out okay. and about, it's all from UV exposure. So UV exposure absolutely will darken any sort of form of pigmentation. So I see this mistake a lot of patients. You know, they might have, for example, post-inflammatory pigmentation from acne, kind of like you were saying, mm -hmm. maybe you had when you were younger. And they go, they think, oh, well, I go in the sun and it all kind of evens out. And it might temporarily look a little better because they have a tan and it sort of masks it. But really in the end, the post-inflammatory marks are also darkening. So yes. it's not really a good solution. Right. I've got you. Okay. Now, this is one thing I wanted to ask you about. And this is about the, the acne scarring pigmentation. Does, is it more likely that you will get, that gets worse with age? Um, no, not necessarily. I think if you, do you mean like if you had a new spot at the age of 20 versus a new spot at the age of 40, is it more likely to look well, worse later on? Or? I'm trying not to make this about me because this really <laughs> is about my listeners, but say somebody has been squeezing their spots all their lives. Yes. And now when they squeeze their spots, they're realizing that it's taking a lot longer to heal and that mark is going a little bit purple. Yes. Yes. So I would say over time, an old acne scar will not necessarily get worse. Mm -hmm. However, a new acne blemish, you're exactly right. I see this all the time. P women will come into my office, for example, and say, you know, I have these spots and they take three weeks to heal and then three months for the mark to go away. Right. And I think that is definitely, unfortunately, sort of part of the aging process where your skin just doesn't have the same collagen, elastin mm -hmm. kind of bounce back that it had when you were younger. So... Right. Yes. <laughs> That's a long answer for saying I just don't pick your spots in general. Yeah. But <laughs> I was about to say the rule there is stop touching but your face. <laughs> yes. I think sometimes spots can take quite a bit longer to heal, mm -hmm. you know, in an older person versus someone who's who's quite young. Yes. That's I mean, and I remember starting to take a supplement with um you know, one of these skin loving supplements and noticing that it was my skin was bouncing back a little bit quicker. Yeah. Could that actually be my imagination or is that no, real? No, it's possible. I mean, I think I'm not a huge proponent of sort of like nutraceuticals and intake right. of vitamins to help with skin. I mean, I think you need to maintain a healthy diet and healthy lifestyle and that will help in all aspects of mm -hmm. your skin and your overall being. Mm. Um, but I think sometimes a little extra vitamin boost, et cetera, could potentially help with that. Interesting. And just on the subject of acne and maybe, okay, you're sitting on your hands, you're not squeezing or picking anymore. What is your number one topical ingredient to get rid of that damn thing ASAP? Probably benzoyl peroxide. Um, so that's available over the counter. It is available in prescription version too, but over the counter you can get a sort of like a benzoyl peroxide gel. It's basically an antibacterial that has a drying effect too. You just pop a little bit of that on and it will really help, you know, 
as fast as, as possible. Okay. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not, it's not all the, the person's fault. I mean, sometimes spots just heal with a mark and you have mm-hmm. not done anything. That's just part of the healing process. So if the acne blemish has gone away and either there was too much collagen produced after it healed or too little, sometimes that leaves a scar. And so mm-hmm. picking may exacerbate that. But unfortunately, that process can happen even when you haven't touched the spot mm-hmm. at all. I know we've really focused on the face, but in order to close um, closing remarks, I just wanted to ask about hyperpigmentation on the body. Yeah. And is that something that you can use a topical on that you would use on your face? So, for example, we've just um, listeners, we've just had a brilliant presentation about this new product. But could I use that product on my torso where I have? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one thing I'll say is that the skin on the chest in particular, and the neck tends to be very sensitive. So I have a lot of patients that want to put retinol, for example, on those areas for Mm. sort of anti-aging purposes. But then you find that actually it just does not like the retinol at all. That's why my neck was on fire that day. (laughs) And exactly. Sometimes you can put the product on your face and still your (laughs) neck gets angry. (laughs) So that skin just does tend to be quite sensitive. And for example, the skin on the back is actually quite thick. So what you've put on your face may not work equivalently Mm. on other areas of the body, but you certainly can use cosmeceuticals on the trunk, for example. So the chest, the back, the, you know, the neck. Um, it's just that sometimes I think the face tends to respond a little differently and maybe a little faster than those areas. Right. Okay. I know um, one of my friends is a massage therapist and she, uh, after the marathon, will get lots of women in and their um, sports bras have absolutely yeah. lacerated their yeah, backs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, what can I do? This is just, is this permanent now? But actually hard to reach though it is you could actually use any of these topical ingredients yeah, that we've absolutely discussed. yeah that's really good to know yeah <laughs> i think i understand pigmentation a bit more and i'm less worried about it good good i'm glad <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time yeah. and your expertise it's so lovely to chat to you oh thank you so much for having me this won't be your last visit to the show alexis <laughs> i can tell you that um listeners the links to alexis will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You can go and see her. I will put the links into the clinic where she practices. And anything else that you might want to know will be in those show notes. But thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate you spending your time with me. If you want to get in touch with me, then please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or slip into my DMs on social media where I'm at Emma Guns. And don't forget, you can always join that Facebook group. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Click the link, answer the three questions, agree to the uh, group rules, and you will be welcomed with open arms. And I personally can't wait to see you there. Thank you once again for listening. I'll see you on the next one. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. 
only from Rustolium.